When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton with me and, of course, Josh Williams. We haven't recorded a show in a while, um, but now does seem like a probably a good time to take a look at Everton and what's going on. Because last time we, we were looking at them in the last show we recorded, which was... I think the start of November, uh, things were looking good. You know, Everton was still near the, the summit of the table and it's all turned a little bit sour since then. Um, but before, before we start, Josh, how have you been over these past few weeks um, and how did lockdown treat you? I've been all right, mate. Um, I'm glad that this isn't getting recorded video-wise because the, the wig is growing out. <laughs> um, other than that though lockdown was, was very easy um, I thought this one was easier to get through than the last one fully enough um, but yeah I think in, in terms of Everton you know it's it's quite an interesting podcast isn't it because each time you record it seems to be a different story really doesn't it it seems to be um, Everton at a different point yeah it does obviously there was a lot of positivity uh, in the earlier shows in the season obviously for anyone who doesn't know we, we tend to just record on a semi-regular basis um, but at the start of the season when we were re- recording um, things looked really good it was exciting uh, results were good performances were good and yeah it looked like it was going to be a really good season and I'm not saying that Everton still can't produce something good in this campaign but certainly based on both recent results and performances that have gone with them um it does look like it's a little bit of a concern, if we're being totally honest. You know, we record today with Everton ninth in the table, having won only one of their previous seven Premier League matches, and that was against Fulham, who, who you know, have obviously had their own struggles this season. Um, and Josh, just just in terms of those, before we start looking at underlying numbers and performances, just in terms of that run itself. Everton played, we'll go from most recent, uh, Everton played Burnley, Leeds, Fulham, Manchester United, Newcastle, Southampton, and of course, I uh, put Liverpool in there as well. Now, admittedly, with the likes of Liverpool and United, there are there are some good teams in there. You probably put Leeds in that bracket as well. But, you know, as a collective, you'd be looking at that run of fixtures, wouldn't you, and thinking, you've got to win more than one of them. Yeah, you would. Um, it's a tricky one to be honest <laughs> because you you know you mentioned there about underlying numbers and stuff and kind of avoiding that for the for the meantime. But I did actually have a glance just just at Everton's games in in the Premier League so far this season, and they, they haven't according to expected goals at least they, they haven't actually deserved to win any game since Brighton. Um, they beat Brighton about 1.8 to 1.2 on the expected goals. Then they faced Liverpool. Um, and then, obviously, Richard Ackerman missing for three games. 
Um, then you face Fulham. Although you face Fulham, they expect to go and you beat Fulham. And I watched the game. You probably did deserve to win, to be honest. But I think the expected goals on the day was was quite close. And I think Fulham might have actually outshot Everton on the day. Mm. Um, and then Leeds, Leeds posted a higher XG, and Burnley was was virtually level. So um, you know, I, I think it's a it's it's not a great run. And I, I think probably the more worrying side is is that it's probably things have probably materialised as they should have, really. I don't, I don't think Everton have particularly been unlucky or anything like that. Mm. I just don't think they're doing enough to win games. I don't think they're doing enough to, you know, to remove that element of chance that we talk about and to, to put games, you know, beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah, it's the, there's, there's in many ways a kind of mirroring of, of what was happening with Silva, where games were, from, certainly from, you know, an underlying numbers perspective, Games were very much in the balance, and it's really difficult then to to kind of decide which way the world goes. You know, it, it, you are relying on kind of who's who's the more clinical finisher on the day, or you know that element of luck, um, and that's kind of what's been happening with Everton. I, I, obviously, Leeds. You look at Leeds, and that was in terms of chances conceded. It was it was very much. Uh, in their favour, though Everton did create a fair few themselves, you know, they were dominant in that regard. But yeah, the the other games kind of you just haven't really, just haven't done enough to to win them. And, and and when you're not being convincing enough in that in that way, then it's it's quite easy to go on these kind of winless runs and and lose too many matches. And if you look at these results over the past six seven games, there has been too many defeats. I mean, a defeat to Southampton, Newcastle. United at home um, and Leeds, you know, the, you, certainly for Southampton, Newcastle, I know there was um, factors that impacted that that will come on to, but, but and I, I do write, rate Southampton, I think they're a good side, but, you know, the, the teams you've got to try and get results against um, if you want to do something good this year, and Everton didn't. Um, I mean, losing the XG to Newcastle, that's that's a low point. That, that's, that is low, isn't it? I, I, not many I mean, teams will do that, do that. No, no. I mean, to be fair, I remember watching that game. I think Newcastle obviously got a penalty, and I think the the, the second goal I think was pretty much an absolute tapping, like yeah. inches from the from the goal line. So they would have got a fair boost from those two. Um, mm. But he, he, even if they did, Newcastle still posted two point five, Everton posted one point two. So even if you remove the penalty and you remove the tapping, it's probably still around even. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, honest, that's the problem, isn't it? We still haven't done enough to win. Yeah, I agree. What we'll do, I was going to have a look at some other bits, but maybe whilst we're on the subject of kind of the numbers, we'll have a look at Everton's numbers for the season as a whole so far. Um, it has been two very kind of contrasting um, phases, I guess, where it was really looked good in the first half of the you know, the 10 games and now it's gone the other way. But we'll start with the attack because what I will say is although things don't look great at the moment, the attack does look okay in general. Um, I know there were some narratives early in the week on, on different media stations that, you know, Everton had lost their creativity, particularly like James Rodriguez and stuff. I, I addressed that on Twitter and I would have addressed it on this podcast, but I did notice that Prano kind of... Uh, done that for me on the Royal Blue podcast. So, you know, I assume a lot of people listen to this, probably listen to that. So I won't repeat what I said. Um, but you can, you can see the kind of 
numbers I was talking up with Hamed if you on my Twitter at DA Hughes underscore. But yeah, we have a look at the Everton's online attacking numbers. So so far, they rank ninth for shots attempted. Um, they rank sixth for shots on target. And they rank fourth for non-penalty expected goals. Which um as a snapshot, I guess, Josh, they that's fairly decent numbers, isn't it? And when you've got a player kind of who's in the form and has the confidence of Calvert Lewin, the chances are you, you're always going to be a threat in terms of chan, chan, not only creating chances but also converting them. Um, you know, Calvert Lewin being that difference maker between the two, and yeah, just just solely on the attack for a minute, that they're not bad numbers, are they, Josh? No, um, I think you can you can obviously couple in with that as well. That Richarlison's missed three of the games this season. Dinier's missed one or two. Coleman's now missed a few. So, you know, we've spoken in the past about how important it is for Everton at the minute because of the state of the squad to have everyone fit. I think when everyone's fit, those numbers are probably a little bit a little bit better than that. To be honest, um, I think ranking ninth for shots shots per match basically I think can be improved I think you you can ask for a bit more on the quantity side there but obviously they're making up for it with the quality of the shots obviously they're creating clear-cut chances in and around good locations because the the non-penalty expected goal ranks them fourth so and, and Calvert-Lewin whenever he seems to be presented with a shot in the box seems to finish them mm. Um so I think I think when everyone's fit you could probably give a, a bit more of a boost than what you've just said there maybe Everton's um, shots attempted per match goes up a little bit from ninth to I don't know sixth, seventh, or something like that. Um, so I do think on the attacking side, I think in isolation at least, you you could probably look at around top eight, top six probably in terms mm-hmm. of the attack. Yeah. But, um, obviously it's a team game and there's two sides to it. Yeah, just uh, just on that point about the, the quality of the shot shot Evan create, we should flag that. Um. You know, so far in terms of non-penalty expected goals per shot, which basically gives a a, a value to a, a per shot average. Um, Everton do rank top alongside Liverpool, zero point one three. Then it's Leeds, Leicester, Tottenham. But you know that that does that does indicate that weren't Everton are creating good good chances. Um, when it just as you said, it would be nice if there was that. Um, you know, just a little bit more on the quantity side because as it as it looks, the quality is there, um, which is good. But yeah, you know, as you said, there's two sides to it, and Everton' biggest problem is undoubtedly uh, the defence. You know, they, they haven't kept a clean sheet since that opening day victory versus um, versus Tottenham, the the one 0 win. They, they went through a stage for a while where it just seems to be conceding two two or more goals every game, conceded two or more against Liverpool, Southampton, Newcastle, Manchester United and Fulham. Um, that's gone to, you know, it was only one against Leeds and one against Burnley, but, you know, Leeds could have quite easily been two or more. Um, and if we actually look at those defensive numbers in isolation, you know, it, it does it does raise some alarm bells. Uh, Everton ranked 12th for shots faced. 14th for shots on target faced, 13th for expected goals against. Um, 
I mean, you, you're looking, certainly from a defensive point of view, you're looking at a, a bottom 10 side there, aren't you, Josh? Yeah, I was going to say, to be honest, my, my response to that was going to, was going to be, you know, at, at best, probably mid-table. Mm. Um, but that that's at best. I think, realistically, you're probably looking maybe in and around 14th or, or, or something like that. Um, yeah. Which probably isn't enough, really, to, to, to be pushing on to achieve whatever you want to achieve under Angelosi and Mashiri. And, you know, there's clear aspirations there for to be getting into Europe consistently and stuff. And, you're just not going to with that defence but I think yeah. l- looking at the defence though it, it's a weird one for me because it, it 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 feels a little bit difficult for me to to put it down to, to bad coaching It it for me some of it just looks like well the defenders aren't that great um, mm. in, in many ways mm. yeah yeah like the personnel and yeah, I mean, Mike, I know Michael Keane's improved this season, particularly he's on the ball stuff. I've seen him break, break lines a few times and things, but mm. I think like if, if you look at Everton's defence for the, the the most recent game against Burnley, I know there's a few injuries, but Everton with Jordan Pickford in goal, then a back three of Michael Keane, Yeri Mina and Ben Godfrey. You know, the, the, the OK players, they're just, but they are about a mid-table level, probably. Mm. Um, and then if you look at the wing-backs in that team on the day, you had Fabian Delft and Alex Wobb, um, which, probably, which probably stems back to what we've addressed in the past in terms of the whole square pegs round holes thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you do You do wonder sometimes if you look at it through tinted glasses because it's, your, it's the team you support and therefore you, you kind of, you back those players, don't you? And you, you almost raise kind of how good you think they are um, but if you look at it, you think, yeah, Michael Keane has improved. Um, but there is always the, there is question marks over over him. I, th- I think he's got to do more consistently. Um, he's also a specific defender. I think he's he's kind of suited to a specific way of playing, which is obviously a little bit of a deeper defensive line and the, the ball being played. You know, seeing the play in front of him rather than being played in behind. I think when when teams start threading balls in behind the defence, I don't think he looks the most comfortable. Um, Godfrey, I'll be honest, I'm reluctant to comment too much on Godfrey because it hasn't been phenomenal so far, but it's still early days and he's still young. Um, I think in a different set of circumstances, Ancelotti would have might maybe liked to bed him in a little bit more, but as it's been so far, he's kind of had to come in, play different positions across the defence. hasn't really been able to settle um, in an unsettled back line as well. Now, Everton have played three different formations in the past five games. Um, so I think it has been a little bit difficult for him. But then, and then there's Mina, which, you know, if you kind of focus on Mina uh, and some of the goals Everton conceded, he's been at fault for a lot of them. And, you know, it's a team game, so there's going to be errors within the sequence before it comes to him. But I just think he... He isn't really illustrating himself as a, a great defender this season. Um, so yet you think that's a that's a flawed back three already, and then you've got as you said wing backs. I mean, uh, I don't. It, it's you don't like to kind of question a manager of Ancelotti's kind of standing because he's you know he knows more about football than I do and his little finger, but. You look at those wing-backs who come in, you've got a Wobi, which I think there is some sense in there because, you know, sitting from an attacking 
point of view, I think he can contribute in that regard. But then you've got Fabian Delph, um, Tom Davis played in there as well. They're just... I know Fabian Delph played left-back for City for that season and did okay, but they're just not the right profiles, are they, Josh? Especially for the team like Everton, who rely on wing-backs for chance creation. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't get my head around that one, to be honest. But why didn't Kunku not play? Is the reason behind it? No, we don't know. It's, well, uh, I mean, I've, I've wrote about it twice now for Liverpool Echo, because um, it's a head scratcher. I mean, the, the whole purpose, usually, in, in most cases, behind wing-backs is width and yeah. you're playing Fabian Delph who is extremely two-footed I will I, I will give you that but I think I'm pretty sure he's in is he naturally left-footed so let me I'll get I'll do, just finish your point and I'll bring it up now while we're talking um, I just think I just think f- f- the way the way Delph played yeah he is technically left-footed yeah yeah, the way Delft played left back at City, it was more kind of an inverted role, wasn't it? Whereby he yeah. ended up kind of in central midfield anyway. I can never picture Delft, even if he is left footed, as that kind of player who could hug the touchline and stretch the pitch uh, horizontally. I, j- I just can't see. I, c- I can't see how he was supposed to be that player. I think Awobi did it quite well on the opposite side. Yeah, um, but I, I just didn't see. I, I can't really get my head around why Delft. Was used there, and um, mm. yeah, it's just it's a strange one to be honest. Even even that. a Wobie, yeah, even a Wobie is a left back a difficult one because he, as a right footed player, um, is also going to be inclined, isn't he, to probably come in onto his coming onto his, his favourite foot a little bit. Um, yeah. So I think it's come. I think I think this is this is maybe why Angelotti's benefited throughout his career when it comes to just managing absolutely brilliant players because mm. um, I think his answer seems to be if he's got a, a problem with a squad, problem with a position, you know, avoid. His answer seems to be I will just play the best available player in that position and he mm. will kind of just do a job. Like I think earlier in the season, I, I think it was away at Newcastle, I think he played Andre Gomez as number 10. Yeah. He's playing a Wolby as a wing-back. He's playing Godfrey as a fullback at times. He's playing Delph as a wing back. Um, Sigurdsson's played as number ten. Tom Davis has played on the right and as a centre mid. Mm. And I think, I think if you if you if you're overseeing the likes of, oh, I don't even know. I mean, Clarence Seedorf and players like this, I suppose they can just kind of come in and just play well no matter where they play. But I think when it comes to dealing with players maybe of a lower standard. Um, Less versatility type thing. Yeah, less less of a well-rounded game. I mm. think the, the more likely to encounter problems and just kind of um, yeah, just be be look, look a bit awkward and look, and look a bit difficult because they clearly don't really know how to behave almost. Um, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think the absolute top players, no matter where you put them, they, they, they do just kind of perform. Like this season, for example, obviously Jam Hames Rodriguez has played on the right. Mm. Um, but before he was played on the right, before he was used there by Ancelotti, I looked at his career, and he he's, he's hardly played at all on the right throughout his career. Um, he's just come in there for Everton, and mm. you could you could argue he's been Everton's best player this season. So um, yeah, I think the top players can do it. You know, if you look at Liverpool and Man City, for example, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp seems to rotate players all over the pitch, and they don't seem to encounter too many problems, but. I think with Ancelotti doing it, 
I feel like he, yeah, I feel like it's, it's not working as well as it, as it would at the likes of AC Milan and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and, you know. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. Um, just, just on Delph, by the way, because uh, I, I, I remember writing about this about a week or two ago when we were assessing the options once it was confirmed Dean would be out for a little while. Um, and I did have a look and I looked at the kind of mechanics of how he was used within that City side as a left back. Um, and it was, you know, I, I could see it was a much more conservative manner, you know, better suited to basically his midfield skill set. He kind of avoided pushing high or making overlapping runs and instead seemed to either sit deeper or, or drift into like a central midfield position when, when City were in possession. And then, you know, you'd have like a silver coming coming into like a half space area and then the wide attackers like Sterling would then occupy that, you know, touchline position. Um I'm just having a quick look at those notes now. And yeah, he managed one assist and nine passes leading to a shot from that wing like left wing back position in like nearly two thousand minutes. Which is, you know, mm. if you think how I mean, creative that area it is. Yeah. I mean you you mentioned overlapping runs there. You know, another thing when it comes to what you traditionally think of with a wing back is just absolute legs up and down the, mm. the, the flank, just mm. relentless up and down, up and down like an engine. And Delft's one of the most injury prone players in the squad. <laughs> so, oh, ridiculous. I think when it, when it comes to expecting him to perform as a wing back, I'm just not, not not entirely sure what the thinking was there because he doesn't. He, there are quite a few boxes that he doesn't tick for me. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just on that, Josh, I had a look yesterday and it was a. I, I, this is how bad Delph has been in terms of fitness since he's arrived. This number I'm about to tell you now, I thought it was high. Um, it's been something like 57 Everton ma- matches since uh, since he joined. Not the summer, just gone the summer before. Is that and, um, all competitions? All competitions, yeah. And of those 57, he's played a full 90 on 14 occasions, which is... with And six of them come in the September of his first season. So, you know, either side of that is just just yeah. a complete lack of availability. Um and when you think Delph should really on paper be one of Everton's better players, I think that says a lot. Um, but I, I just want to obviously reiterate, reiterate again that point that you made. I think that I think's really good, and that um, kind of putting these players in different positions, and expecting them still to perform, has been a, a mistake, probably in my opinion, um, because you, he obviously doesn't have faith maybe in the likes of Nkunku. Um, Anthony Gordon, you know, Gordon didn't come in for Richarlison, which just seems such an obvious um, kind of change, in my opinion, because of the reasons that that we've said, where you're looking for a player who's got that um, that same profile. Okay, you can't replace Richarlison, but you know who who is most alike to Richarlison? Is it Gomez? Or is it Gordon? It's clearly Gordon. And I, I think you wouldn't have disrupted the setup so much over this period if you would have played, you know, like for like players in those positions. You could have maintained that 4 3 3. Instead, what's happened is I touched on it earlier, but, you know, over the last five matches alone, Everton have played five different formations, um, which is just, it's, I think it's really hard, isn't it? To, 
to to just settle into a routine and get and learn the kind of mechanics of how how you want your team to play when it's getting chopped and changed every week. Yeah, it's a little bit concerning to be honest. I think it, it, if it wasn't Ancelotti, and um, you know th- th- this was an Everton boss who'd who'd went who'd won one out of the last seven, I think he said, and he'd used five different formations in his last five games. You know, you'd, you'd be a bit concerned there that he's kind of hoping to stumble across something that works rather mm. than um, actually recognizing what the best approach is. I must admit, I, I keep going back to it. I do think he's unfortunate that his first eleven has not been fit for the for the whole of the season. I think the game play were fit. I think Everton might have won. Was a four out of four, or uh, I think it was one four through five against Liverpool. Which okay, you know we we know there was a little bit of fortune in that result, but from those five games to win those four and draw that one uh, is 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 really good. You, you know that's Barnes managing somehow to beat Liverpool, uh, which as I said, I think on the day you know Everton were fortunate to get the draw. I think after those five results, you, you can be, you know, really happy. And it looks like a fantastic start of the season. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, you know, <clears throat> on the whole change in formation so frequently, as I said, it, it is a bit concerning. But then part of me is a bit, you know, forgiven with, with the, you know, once you look at the squad. I do, I've said this before on this podcast, that I don't like the squad. I, I do think it improved a little bit in the, in the summer. Mm. Um, but overall, it is just a mental squad with loads of players who you still need to move on. Loads of players who've had the chance not really took it. Um, some of them are injury prone. Some of them end up getting used out of position more than they get used in position. Yeah. Um, it it you just you just need a better squad. You need you know. I know it's it's the old the old shout that maybe a a, a bad bad workman blames his tools. Yeah. But I I do think. I, I am a firm believer that you are only as good as your players in, in most cases. Um, yeah. I think we'll get like on to that when you, when, you, when you start talking about Chelsea. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, because the players that they've lost, Richarlison for three matches, huge loss. They missed one in that sequence and now is out for an extended spell. Even Coleman, you know, I, I know Coleman's best days are probably behind him, but he has been good this year. He's the captain. He does tend to lead by example and he's still a creative threat and when you haven't really got any good cover on that right side you know that loss is even more significant and then Rodriguez was missing for one maybe two games and we know how important he is um, in terms of just as all around threat so yeah that that's important I think I had Everton had their start, solid start 11 in that sequence I think they would have got more wins and you know even in the midst of the really good spell Everton had at the start of the year we both spoke on more than one occasion about how if Everton were to lose, start losing players through injury, you'd probably see a dramatic drop-off. Um, I actually remember you tipping Everton after about four wins, saying that they would still be do well to finish in the top eight. And um, it, I think it might have raised a few eyebrows, didn't it, at the time with people who listened to the show. But it, it's kind of something that over time, is the point has been proved a little bit. Yeah, I think in an in a normal season, maybe Everton would have been able to push on. But I think I think in in this season especially, injuries were just inevitable. Every team is going to suffer injuries this season. And I think mm. if Everton were going to suffer them too, you know, Dinier, Coleman, Richarlison, Calvert Lewin, James, you could argue Allen, Decore, 
um, it was going to probably result in in problems, especially if uh, you suffer more than one at once. And I think mm-hmm. Everton have obviously got to a point now whereby Richarlison and Dinier were maybe missing the same games. Um, mm-hmm. Dinier is now out alongside Coleman, so Everton don't really have any width at all, any wide threats. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, Everton have improved and I'd be surprised if if they had a season as bad as last season's. I do, I do, I do think improvement's there. Mm. But considering, you know, this, what I said at the time was looking back at Everton's previous season, it, it's going to be massive for them to jump from where they finished to, mm. you know, eighth. I said eighth would be a great season. They finished 12th. Uh, with a goal difference of minus twelve, um, and they were about twenty goals behind Arsenal, who finished eighth. That's twenty mm. goals in terms of goal difference, yeah. not just um, goals for. And then this season, Everton are currently plus two in terms of goal difference. So it it is better, but it's I think by the week it, it's kind of going down the. The regression route, but um, I, I, I do think a lot of it comes down to having players available, and you know, it's it, Everton needs to get that sorted really, which is yeah. easier said than done. Just by the way, if Everton do finish at a negative goal difference compared to Arsenal this season, then you know, they should throw in the towel and Chelsea so should pack his bags and the club should fall because, uh, <laughs> yeah, it takes some doing to do that with this with their attack this year. But, um, just before we move on, I will quickly flag, um, you know, Gabamon's meant to be coming back in the next couple of weeks. And I know it's such a stale statement, but uh, that could be like a new sign for Everton because of what the, the, the profile he kind of is. Okay, we haven't seen him really since he signed, but if he can come back and be the player that he signed, you know, a, a kind of player in that natural midfield position, you uh, can you can kind of break thing, break attacks down and recycle possession and just kind of be some legs in the middle. Because uh, I think it's uh, Alan's getting a little bit overloaded at the moment. Um, if he can be in there, and you've got you know alongside Alan and and the Corey, then that's a solid midfield, um, and you should hopefully see improvements in that area of the pitch with him there. Um, we'll we'll move on, Josh, to to Chelsea because two reasons: one, ever played them this weekend, so that's what we do. But two, Chelsea are there. Interesting this year, aren't they? Like Chelsea, uh, just just as a from a Liverpool perspective, are you a little bit nervous about Chelsea this season? I am concerned. Yeah, yeah, I do think they've they've definitely got a legitimate title shot, mm. which is um, a weird thing to say, I suppose, because last season they they, they did look quite off it. But I think this is a perfect example as to why f- for me. To a large extent, you are only as good as your players because it's the same manager in charge, but certain players have just replaced others in certain key positions. Mm. Williams come out, Pedro's come out, uh, maybe Giroud's come out, and you've brought in players with very clear output to the game. You know, mm. so in, in terms of Chelsea's goal difference, what Chelsea have done to impact their goal difference in defence, they've got rid of the keeper and brought in Mendy. Brought in Thiago Silva and put Kante in a defensive position, who's now um, consistently available every week. And then in attack, they brought in Werner, Ziyech, Havertz, 
<laughs> Chilwell and they've integrated Reese James to become a starter. Mm. So Chelsea have done an awful lot, a huge amount in, in the summer when it comes to giving your goal difference a boost. Last season, mm. I'll, I'll double check it now as I'm speaking, but last season Chelsea finished with a goal difference of plus 15. City plus 67. Liverpool plus 52. So Chelsea finished, you know, in attack, attack and defence combined roughly 35 to 40 to 50 goals behind the two best teams in the country. So they had to do a fair amount. Obviously, Liverpool and, uh, and City were probably going to come off a little bit, take the foot off the gas yeah. a little bit, which is natural. But Chelsea needed to give both ends of the pitch a boost um, yeah. in the summer, and he, and he did. And they've still got the same man in charge, but they're just they're just coping better on the pitch because they've got better players. It's, it, it kind of is as simple as that. Yeah, I mean it's you know it really shows what you can do with two hundred and twenty million. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know they did. Re- we know they spent a fortune to do, but they did recruit really well. Um, it's weird, you know, in terms of attack and output. Because I looked at Chelsea this week, and what in terms of output alone, the, they are quite similar to what the this season to what they were last season, albeit they've got a little bit more clinical because because of those improved players you've just pointed out uh, in the final third. But you know the Achilles' heel was was that you know the back end that, and more specifically the goalkeeper. Like I don't think you can you can blame just one player in a team game, but it, it is really hard to not you know apportion a lot of blame towards Kepa for last season. Um, you know he had the he had the worst save percentage in the division and. I worked out he was conceding roughly a goal for every two shots he faced on target, which is which is crazy, really. Um, I'm trying to have, see if I've got the numbers to hand. Yeah, they got the. Bear in mind where Chelsea finished, they, they conceded 54 goals, which was their eighth highest in the league. Bear in mind they finished in the top four, so it was kind of like the attack doing all the all their own work and trying to compensate for. For you know, a mess at the back, really. Um, and I thought it was quite funny as well. Uh, he's conceded Kepa six goals, six league goals this season, playing three games because he played at the start of the season whilst uh, Mendy was out. And that's that's three times what Mendy's conceded in the league, despite you know, the Mendy what playing over twice as many games, which kind of says a lot. You know, I know, uh, I know different things can impact conceding goals, but it it feels to me like it's no surprise that suddenly they've uh, they're, con- they're keeping all these clean sheets with Mendy there as opposed to to Kepa, who was there at the start of the season. Yeah, I think on the attacking <clears throat> on the attacking side as well. I think last season he did quite well when it comes to you know generating shots. I think they actually took mm. more shots last season than Liverpool. Um, mm. But when it comes to putting those shots away, they, they, they weren't really that great. Um, mm. Obviously, you had Tammy Abraham up front for a period, Giroud up, for, up front for a period, and players like Pedro and William in particular. William doesn't tend to offer that much in the final third. Good player, but when it mm. comes to actually delivering the, delivering things that matter on a, on a pitch, he doesn't do that much. Mm. Um, last season, in, you know, in terms of number of goals per shot, they have received a boost this season. Not not that much, but a, a notable boost um, this season when it comes to 
you know, the number of goals that they score per shot. And I think that just stems from when it comes to generating these shots like they were last season. Yeah. Maybe better players are taking those shots. I know Vayner's mm. missed a fair few, to be fair. But I think they've just, just got yeah. better players. Yeah, but then he's obviously still, he has converted a fair few and he's um, he is performing in line with his XG, which says that, you know, he's still converting as he should be. It's just, yeah. you know, he probably could overperform if he was a little bit sharper, but we, we know he's a volume player. Um, but should we have a quick run through their numbers now then? Just so that they're currently fifth for shots per 90, um, second for shots on target, Um Third for non-penalty XG. Um, I don't know. You just heard me dog you on there. Apologies. If you <laughs> it's not Josh getting bored of me speaking. Up, <laughs> thankfully. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Third for non-penalty XG. But interestingly, Josh, just to reaffirm that point about them having better finishing uh, finishes. Sorry, they jumped to second when we look at uh, post-shot XG. So they're only behind Liverpool in that regard uh, and jump ahead of Leeds. And then on that defence, fourth for shot face third for shots on target and uh, seventh for non-penalty XG again. So, you know, when you combine the two, you're looking at a, a, a genuine kind of like maybe top three, top four side and they come really sit third and just two points off the top. So the numbers pretty much coincide with the performances, which is uh, which is a nice change, isn't it? <laughs> the, honestly, they are really impressive. I don't know if many people are picking up on them at the minute, but they, mm. they really should be. They've, they've lost once all season mm. in the Premier League and Champions League, and that was to Liverpool. Yeah, um, and they had ten men for that as well. People forget. Yeah, I, they had ten men for a full half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, I think they were. Come on. I know it's good. It is good. And they've they played tough teams. Went to Old Trafford. They played Tottenham. Uh, didn't concede. Didn't score either. But still good results. Uh, yeah, it seems to have uh, seems to have settled on a four three three. Mm. Um, that looks quite, you know, nailed every week now. And I think, you know, when it comes to the players that I've mentioned, uh, I think they kind of have threats virtually all over the pitch. They have, they have so many different avenues to goals. Mm. You know, if you think of the crosses that Reese James puts in, Chilwell arriving at the back post despite being a fullback. Um, then the, the, the different types of crosses that Ziyech puts in was left foot. Um, mm. The threats in behind that Werner offers. The aerial threat maybe that Abraham offers and Giroud. Mason Mount provides a bit of something different and gives you goals from centre mid, set pieces mm. and stuff. I love Zuma from set pieces as well. So they are a really well-rounded team. And, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, me being a Liverpool fan, I, I am concerned they are a genuine threat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that, that's something that, that concerns me a little bit. Um I'm thinking more of just for the game this weekend, but because they've got so many reinforcements in, in every position pretty much. It feels like they're all fighting to to be on the pitch, you know, because that naturally happens, doesn't it? When you when you improve your squad, you bring better players in. The, the players that are already there are the way that they haven't got a solidified position in the team. They've got to fight to get back in. I mean, you look at Giroud; he's he's been saying a lot in the media, and then he he went and scored a, a hat trick in the was it a hat trick or four goals in the Champions I think League? He scored like, four, and on, yeah. on the back of scoring four, he started the next game. Then. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you've got, if the resting players or the missing players, um, they, they, they can bring in reinforcements that are absolutely desperate to, to prove that they should be starting. Um, so it's just in many ways a, a really bad opponent for Evans to face this weekend, I'll be honest. Um, I try and be normally fairly 
optimistic, but I'm pessimistic at the moment because I, I do really think Chelsea are and in good form. Um, for and I haven't really bigged this up, but I'm going to go in for predictions now, Josh. Uh, I will start. I, I just. I'm not. I'm not saying it's going to be a hammering, but just based on everything we've just discussed across the whole show, I am thinking maybe a two 0 away win. Sadly, yeah. I mean, do Everton have any fitness news? Is anyone coming back? Uh, we haven't had the press conference yet, and one thing I will say is we have to record our shows normally Wednesday, Thursday, don't we? And um, we tend to get done over by Ancelotti on the press conferences that on, on the Friday, so. At this time, I don't know. We, we're probably best assuming it's the, the side that played against Burnley, or at least the available players. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, a little bit tricky. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to lean towards maybe... I, th- I think everyone will receive some sort of boost with fans in the ground. Um, I was going to bring that up, actually, yeah. I do think that'll have an impact, I really do. I think with it being Goodison Park, you know what Goodison Park's like, and it's a tight pitch and stuff, so you know anybody knows like that will give them a boost. But um, I, I just think Chelsea look really good, and mm-hmm. no injuries. Everton is virtually the same every week. Every player is playing apart from Zier, who's injured. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Everton's just a mixed match of, of a variety of different things at the minute, systems, players. So I, th- I think yeah. I'm going to go with three-one uh, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that it was this week last year that Everton played Chelsea um, on the back of the 5-2 derby defeat. Silva being sacked, Ferguson coming in, played Chelsea at home and won 3-1. Um, if you believe in omens, that might be one. Um, but yeah, the, the, the crowd thing is really interesting. It's something we talked about on another podcast, me and Josh. And I was at Anfield on Sunday working the, the Liverpool game and I must say it, it did definitely have an impact because even though there's only 2,000 in there, the way stadiums are designed, um, it just does seem that the noise echoing around an empty stadium does really amplify it. Um, it definitely felt like there was more in there and it just it, it felt like it was an impact on the psychology of the players and not even just the Liverpool players. It felt like it was impacting Wolves a little bit because if you make a mistake, you tend to get a bit of heckling. Um, things that you haven't really been getting. They haven't had for like nine months. So I think there's this going to be this period of adjustments. And with with Evertonians on the, on the, on the side of the home team, um, you know, making it a little bit more difficult for Chelsea, it could level the playing field a little bit. I just don't know whether it'll be it'll be enough. But we'll uh, we'll wait and see. I don't know when we'll be back for another analysing Everton, but we'll. It would be nice if we could do one before Christmas. Um, I know you're always up for it, Josh, and, and so am I. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But as ever, Josh, thank you very much. Yeah, no worries, mate. Cheers, and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, just just for those of you who send messages, uh, thanks for that. We appreciate it. Um, and hopefully, you finally got an episode to to enjoy. <laughs> see ya. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.